Welcome to Season 6 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? Want to expand your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. This episode features Dr. D. Fink. We thought Dee would be a great guest because of his myriad contributions to faculty development and the scholarship of teaching and learning in higher education. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And we are both thrilled about today's episode of the podcast. Today, we're joined by instructional consultant and owner of D. Fink and Associates, Dr. D. Fink. Welcome to the podcast, D. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you. Now, we're super excited to, to have you on, and it's been a long time coming. And as we reflect on this season, we've been talking to um, educators who write and speak about teaching practices in higher education. Uh, our guests have authored popular texts, or they might uh, host podcasts themselves discussing current trends and best practices in education. And uh, all of our guests have been from different places in higher education. They've been from STEM or education, psychology, business, but all have shared teaching strategies that leadership educators can apply more broadly, oftentimes coming from faculty development spaces, which definitely is something that I know that uh, our guest today has uh, quite a bit of experience in and spent um, a good portion of his career leading the, the center for, what was it called at, o- at the University of Oklahoma, Center for uh, Teaching and Learning? Development Center. Instructional Development Center. Very, very good. So, and I just want to share a little bit about how I was introduced to to you and and your work. So when I was a doctoral student at University of South Florida, my, uh, I had one of the faculty that I worked with extensively and ended up chairing my dissertation was was Jim Eisen, who had coined the, the term active learning and uh, required reading in our class was creating significant learning experiences, which oh, was yeah. uh, your text. And first edition at that time, and later I got the second edition, which I was very thankful that you uh, autographed for me when you came to visit us at, at University of Southern Maine, not once, but twice, when we were doing some uh, faculty development work as part of a Title III grant that we had. And in our leadership educator community, we actually integrated your model of integrated course design in how we we have a summer program called the Leadership Education Academy that the International Leadership Association hosts. Right now it's every summer. We did have some pandemic issues there and it was every other summer before that, but we've been running that program since 2015. And uh, we spent a pretty much a whole day of that seminar. It's a three and a half day, really intensive seminar with 10 facilitators. And we spend, and Lauren has been a participant as well, as recent as last, as last summer when we did it virtually for the first time. And we spent pretty much a whole day going through the model of course design and going through starting with situational factors and then looking at learning goals and actually, you know, learning ways to construct learning goals, learning, exploring the different pedagogies, uh, both instructional and assessment strategies, and really, really keeping leadership educators mindful of the, the bigger picture and kind of the systemic process while also utilizing the taxonomy of significant learning. In addition to Bloom's taxonomy, you kind of give them examples of both, um, but really get them a, a deep dive into that. And I guess the last thing I'll share of where we've kind of seen it show up in our own space in leadership education was the uh, ILA also recent convened um, pretty much right through the, t- the pandemic. I think we got started our work in early of 2020. My general principles for leadership 
uh, Programs Task Force, and they put together this concept paper for leadership programs in higher education. And uh, we, your model is all over our learning section. And so, so yeah, so we may talk about that too. Uh, the last thing I'll share is one of the things I really love that you always started your workshops off with. And I don't know if you have anything you might you might add about this, but. And I've definitely uh, borrowed this approach where you said, what, you know, so, and correct me if I'm not getting the, the verbiage quite right, but you would say, you know, hey, you know, faculty, what are your hopes and dreams for the students uh, who take yeah, this class? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just love that perspective because it's like, isn't this why we do what we do? Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I stumbled onto that partway through. I, apparently, I think there were some people that commented, made some comments about that clicked into my dream. And all of a sudden I realized, hey, that's something I should be doing for everybody and maybe doing it systematically and maybe introducing it. Uh, <clears throat> and I like that idea that, you know, uh, putting that out there for people, what are your dreams and how does this plug into it uh, and get them thinking about it. And I think that, that that helps them, but also increases the chance that they're gonna do something valuable for themselves with this concept of significant learning. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. What what is maybe like two or three things that uh, people would not learn about you just by looking at your website? Oh uh, well, well, I don't know if that's on the website or not. But a, a major personal experience in my life was uh, serving in the Peace Corps. Is that on there or not? But uh, uh, I happened to graduate from college in 1962 which was right when the Peace Corps got started. And I saw that and I'd always been interested in things international. I said, I got to sign up or apply for that and see if I can get into that. Well, I signed up and they did accept me. And I ended up going to Iran, being assigned to a project to Iran as a high school to English teacher, uh, 62 to 64. And that was just a major, major experience. But then that got topped off with something that even added uh, more to it. And that was a guy who was my roommate and another person he was friends with the Peace Corps decided to travel around a bit after the Peace Corps, not instead of coming straight home. And I watched what they were doing and, and finally said, hey, can I join this? And they let me in. And, uh, and then the other guy married one of the Peace Corps volunteers. So we had four people that left Iran, went to England and bought a Land Rover station wagon, outfitted it for travel, took off driving quickly through uh, France and Spain down to Morocco then made uh, nine, I think it was eight or nine months, a big loop in Africa back to Egypt, and then went through, crossed over the Middle East and went through Asia for the other four months and came back to the US 12 months after we had left England. So we had a 12 month driving trip through Africa, the Middle East and Asia. And, and for a guy that was interested in what the world was like out there, that, that trip plus the Peace Corps was just, the, just everything I had hoped it would be. And so I've always, uh, they really define me. It made, it made me an international person because I learned, I met people and learned them and got a, got endeared to all kinds of things overseas. And uh, so I, I, I'm an American sort of, but I'm really an internationalist. Uh, I mean, the world is my home. What an incredible story. The world is my home. And it, I, like, as you're saying it, it makes sense how some of these other things ended up in being integrating into your consulting practice. It makes so much sense. I also think too, like I have this firm belief that everybody should take a gap year and do something like that, where you get out of your community, get out of your space, you do something of service, but then you also get to, to just be in a completely different culture. Cause there's so many, you know, broaden your perspectives on everything. 
Yeah. Like, you know, when I was younger, my parents, we always took family vacations and we didn't go international and we were riding around in a station wagon, I'm sure, you know, and, and, but just the fact of saying that I had visited these places and was prepared. And my mom was always big about teaching us how to travel so that when we got the opportunity, like she taught us how to like read the New York subway system. And I was just like this, right. So I had confidence, you know, like, so, so I I love hearing that early experience, as well as, you know, something you said earlier just sparked something in me, you know, you ask about dreams and teaching and my purpose, which was my dream. I I always wanted to teach, but I didn't know why. I just knew I was like, I know I'm good at it. I know I should be here. But my, like my purpose for a long time has been to help people explore who they are as leaders and how they communicate that to others. And so like one of my favorite classes that I teach is called communicating leadership. And it's exactly that we get to pull all of these leadership concepts in. And, and I, and, and we talk about situational factors Can how is COVID, you know, uh, affecting how you feel as a leader. And, and even, I mean, just how are we handling at the university? And so, so like, it, it almost feels like sometimes your design was really set up for that class, but, but for classes like that to encourage students to bring those experiences in. Because yeah. one of the things I find is we can have harder conversations when they know me and trust me and trust each other and, and the activities and, you know, and the intentionality really creates yeah. that, that space for it. Yeah, and, and, and to agree that you can share yourself, make yourself visible, your, your special experiences, your background, as well as, as well as what your hopes and dreams are, uh, the easier it will be for students to link their background yeah. hopes and dreams to what you're trying to do with the class, I think. Oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a full-time faculty member, but I'm also a doctoral student and and I'll talk to them about like when I'm dodging my dissertation chair lovingly or, you know, or if I'm up, like sometimes I'll respond to them at 10 o'clock at night and I'll say, sometimes I'm just up doing homework and I need a little bit of a break. So I go respond, yeah. you know, so don't rely on it, but, but it helps to make me more understanding yeah. and them to, relatable to the point where sometimes I'm like, you don't tell me too much information. Like I don't, I'm a mandatory reporter. I don't want to know all of that. <laughs> right, exactly. The totally counseling services are available. Like, you know, I've got that speech down. But yeah, like it, it and when I landed, on, I landed on your your work through just um, CAT, where our, we call ours CAT, Center for Advancement of Teaching, workshops, because I was trying to be a better teacher. Like I knew I wanted to do it, but that didn't necessarily mean I was good at doing it. And I had, a, and, and teaching has changed in the 10 years since I started. So yeah, it yeah. was helpful because I could bring their personalities, my student affairs background, where we center students and, but also hold them accountable for understanding the concepts and how we meet learning outcomes, really holding them accountable for that too. So I was appreciative as well. Yeah. And I mean, a part of, part of our, all of our goals as teachers is to help students uh, put together their own plan for doing something with this knowledge and also a plan for learning more. Uh, and it sounds like you've you've moved in that direction, definitely. Yeah, no, certainly the the learning how to learn aspect of you know, and that that's that's really the the gosh, that's that's always one of the biggest hopes and dreams we have when, when we when you start our classes. I, I want to piggyback up, I guess, to to the things that that y'all were talking about, and so you you mentioned kind of like creating like a trusted space and kind of the how. And Lauren has said, you know, hey, 10 years ago, being introduced to to this model of integrated course design. So uh, I'm thinking about kind of the 
the evolution of this model. So as I mentioned, uh, when I was introducing you and kind of sharing how we had interacted over the last, I guess, that's, you know, 10 years or so, your model of integrated course design is the framework that we use for the Leadership Education Academy. And then I mentioned also it's integrated into that general principles for leadership uh, programs concept paper in the learning section. And specifically, one of the questions that we, it's, it's kind of a guiding document where it's general principles. Uh, we're, we don't have accreditation in leadership programs. Business does, leadership does not. And we want to keep it that way, I think, uh, is kind of the, the general sentiment in the field. But one of the questions that we have is kind of a guiding uh, question for uh, folks that use this, this resource is, you know, what teaching and learning methods are appropriate to maximize leadership learning while being mindful of these critical situational factors. And one of the most significant things I've taken and applied from your model is like how as educators, we must start with the situational factors, you know, all of these different things, whether they be the nature of the learning situation or the context or the nature of the subject or the characteristics of the learners or the characteristics of the teacher. And, and certainly how all those things help us to make decisions about everything else we design for our students. I'm curious, how do you think that might have, how's that evolved since you first ideated the model? And like, what do you think about the last two years here? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, to, to be real honest, I haven't kept real close touch with the, the literature and what people have done with it. But I, I think people have, have found that uh, the, the model value in much the same way you have. I think what it does for people is allow them to think more carefully and systematically about what they're doing when they get ready to teach. Yeah, what do what factors to pull in and consider and then how to go from information about those factors to decisions about uh, what I do, what I have the students do, what our learning goals should be, et cetera. And how to even how to formulate those, uh, whether from the teacher, from the students, or dialogue between the two or or whatever. Uh, but I think that's the, the the big the big thing it did for people is figure, help them figure out how to approach a teaching decision, a teaching situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, certainly in the last, the last couple of years with, you know, moving into synchronous spaces and, and doing some of that work, it, it really kind of turned on its head uh, how we might even define situational factors, because it's, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about access, we're talking about tech, we're talking about like, you know, w what is this space that we're now learning in? And one of the things that we, that we put in this document was one of the things that leadership educators have to do, it, it tends to be really important in leadership education. And, and I would guess I would argue maybe more so than many other fields, but not all fields, but it's we, because we're, we're, because dialogue is our, and discussion is our like signature pedagogy, we're asking students to share their experiences, probably more so than many other classes that they are a part of. And so we have this responsibility as leadership faculty um, and leadership educators to create a, what we call a trusted space or a, a brave space or a safe space that kind of integrates theory, practice, experiential learning that promotes that dialogue and reflection and active questioning of learners' experiences. How integral do you, do you feel that that has been to the way that, I guess, participants in your workshops and, and uh, kind of your own practice, this sense of like creating the safe, trusted or brave spaces has been? Well, I, I think uh, I haven't you know, been part of all the people who, who picked up on this and done something with it. So I'm, I'm guessing part here. But I think a lot of them would come to the same conclusion you have uh, if, they, if they think about it for very long. And that is, uh, if you want to have significant learning occur, there has to be a trust between among students and between students and teacher, uh, both ways. Uh, 
and and the students won't trust a teacher until they sense that the teacher trusts them. I mean, that's probably a, a fairly handy rule one can always have. Uh, but it, once you get that, then you can have that in-depth dialogue where people are really uh, communicating from from their own deep sense of reality and things and themselves and what's important to them, their values. And and when, once you get to where you can operate at that level, then the kind of learning that comes from that dialogue is likely to be, in my language, significant. And and that's what that's of course what we all want. Uh, and and for students to walk away with a different understanding of something that allows them to act differently in their then in their activities in the future, personal activities, public activities, uh, formal activities, whatever, and and. Uh, and just to read those situations differently and then be able to respond to them differently and better, you know, in a sense it's better. And so that's to me what is the ultimate goal of the whole process. You're so right about the, the trust piece. And, and one thing I've noticed and that has changed in the last maybe five, maybe five or six years is that there used to be like students got into your class and they automatically trusted you because you were the instructor. Yeah, and yeah. what I've noticed from students now is they oh. don't give you that trust. You have to earn it. And I have still like, you know, I've not, not, you know, my department is great, but, but I run into colleagues at the university where they're almost offended that students don't trust them. And I'm like, yeah. but, but if you think about it from their perspective, they're in a highly connected world. They've been paying attention to social media and traditional media through social media platforms. So they've seen a lot, what is, a lot of what is happening globally and they know the adults are responsible. And so some of the, the good and bad decisions are on us, you know, and, and right. And so once I, you know, I, I try like it, it, honestly, the situational factors part made me pay attention to how students are learning, especially in high school. Like I have an older son who graduated a couple of years ago and I said, you know, so when your teachers, you know, when they break out PowerPoint, like, you know, how do they, how does it work and what do they do? And he was like, my teachers do not use PowerPoint and my jaw fell to the ground because I'm like, how do you learn with no, you know? And so, but, but, but what I learned in that is like, we, I had to start paying attention to how they were learning in high school and what they were doing. Cause I didn't know. Good point. Good point. And I'm old, so I can't rely on my high school because in my high school, we were, we had this projectors with the, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> Yeah, in college I had them too. So, you know, but it's it's so I had to I had to really kind of lay my pride down and say, okay, so I gotta get to know and and the 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 part of your situational factors I appreciate the most, but it's hard. I had to read student newspapers. I had to talk to colleagues that I trusted that had good relationships with students. And, and I feel like the 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 how to get that information, you can guess, but but it's one of those spaces where you really have to go out into your, your college community and start talking to people because what, what I thought students wanted or were challenged with, um, they they weren't. And what I was learning was that I, I could somewhat rely on my own perspective but I, I couldn't be the only one making that decision. Um, I also like, I started reading our student newspapers. I started asking former students that had recently graduated because they were still connected to students be, because I just didn't feel confident that what I was saying was the truth. And, and I was really, and I hate, Thanks if so you go in there on the wrong foot, you can be like totally mess up a whole class, right? Yeah, I think a big part of what you're doing and what all teachers need to do is to, uh, 
spends a little time at the beginning of any course just getting to know your students and getting letting them know you and then and then giving some thought to how do you set up that dialogue and and uh, get that sharing going quickly because if you can do that right and, and, and build that trust uh boy then then the sky's the limit i mean you can just go but if you don't if you could you can do somersaults all the rest of the semester it's not going to go anywhere uh yeah. so it really is a, a an important lesson about a, a sort of a front end uh ought to do gotta do not ought to do gotta do if you really want to the course to be one of these fantastic courses do you have like ways in which you've done that in the classroom? Like I know I like I sometimes will ask a survey. Um, I, I talk about different parts of my syllabus and ask them for feedback, but kind of like yeah. what strategies have you used or heard about? Do you think like would yeah. apply in this? A couple other questions to consider that I've used from time to time is, is uh, at, the, at the front end of the course. Tell me about your your favorite most value or or most valuable course you ever had. And what was it that made it valuable and one of the one of the great ones in your eyes? And just get that sense. I mean, it's, and that's going to be different for every student. So you got to go to see, get the panorama, and see where there's a lot of if there's some of them, a lot of them that mention something, then that's something you, you want to think about incorporating into yours. But you know, getting getting information from them in a casual way, but a, a clear way, about uh, what they found helps them learn, in a sense. And then trying to to steer toward that, and um, and I think that'll that can help a lot. You know, it's interesting you you share that one because we've we definitely uh, have borrowed or I don't know if I want to say cannibalized kind of that exact question we we um, in that leadership education academy experience that that I have been talking about where we use your model extensively we we probably spend a good. I don't know, 25, 30 minutes of, of one of our days where we, we put up a question very, very, very similar to that. And the idea is to get, you know, not only to get the participants to start talking about those types of things and the factors that contributed to that, but then to kind of transfer that into the course or workshop or program or whatever that they're yeah. going to build, yeah. <laughs> which is it's just interesting because, you know, thinking about situational factors, like, you might ask students just to think about that and they're not going to be building a course. They're going to be part of a course, but with faculty, they're actually going to be developing that curriculum. And so putting them in that, that headspace of, you know, Hey, I better adopt some of these things that really yeah. spoke to me, you know, that maybe got me into education in the first place. Well, and the other thing you can do with that though, is, you know, almost any course, uh, the teacher has certain responsibilities, but the students have certain responsibilities. And even if, and, and students haven't always thought about them, but they, but once they say, well, of course it was really great because, well, what were the students doing in that? And what does light does that shed on what we student, what the students in this course can and need to do if we want to make this a gangbuster course? Uh, I, I see what it does for the teacher, and the, but the students has a part in that. Let's put those two pieces together. And then we, the chances go way up that it will be a great course. They know what good and bad students look like for sure. And so, no, and they don't I'm like, I find my students, the, the, the ones that are really there to learn, I, they're all there to learn, but some of them on various levels, they really want to like, they, they don't want those kids stopping their learning experience. Yeah. So they happily share some of the things that were. In well, and, and sometimes that can motivate the, you know, the, the students that just their experiences have led them to take a more passive view of, of their role. And they hear some of the other students about, how to be more active and what the benefits of that are. Well, well hey, maybe, maybe I'll give that a try here. And, and then you set it up so they encourage it. And then if you can use small groups where the students influence each other straight away without having to go through the teacher, uh, it can pick that up a lot. 
Yeah, I've actually, it's funny, you, we're talking about, about this. It's, it's kind of been one of my most favorite ways to, to start a class other than the research methods classes that I, that I take. We, we go in a very different direction, but with most of the leadership courses, we'll actually, I'll actually put up a, and I, it's kind of this amalgamation of, of resources that I've read. One came from like a blog on the teaching, was it the teaching professor? I think it was a teaching professor um, or faculty focus or something like that. A couple of posts from there and then something from a, we have a, a book in our field exploring exploring leadership for college students who want to make a difference. The second edition has this great PDF. Um, and we talked about this when we had Julie Owen on as a guest, because she was part of a bunch of doctoral students that were in a class with Susan Comavez, who's a big deal in our field. She was professor emeritus at University of Maryland. And as an assignment one semester, she's like, hey, y'all create a teaching guide for this book. And it ended up being like one of the best resources, hands down period, um, that exists in our field. And it talked about like first day activities and the activity that I kind of, kind of like uh, transformed from, from that, from what they shared in that and this, this teaching professor blog was literally, you know, to put up on, a, on the whiteboard or whatever, it's like best class you've ever been in, worst class you've ever been, or sometimes we call it best class in the class from hell. And then you ask them to talk about what did the teacher do or the faculty member or whatever, and then what did the students do? in each one and they come up with all kinds of different things you know i mean some things that i can't really share on a podcast but um excuse me once once we uh unpack all that and this was something that i was co-teaching a class once and this faculty member walked up to the board and he goes he goes i have an idea i go i don't go ahead man he goes and he he uh crossed out teacher and he crossed out student and he wrote leader and follower and i was like my mind just my mind was blown because it it translated so well to what we were trying to teach and talk about the reciprocal relationship and the relational aspect of leaders and followers working together to promote positive change or however we might define leadership. And I was just like, this is this is a fantastic way to kind of introduce yeah, this as a leadership well, concept. Especially for that in that kind of context. Yeah. Yeah, I love I love that. Especially because like I mentioned before on the, the podcast, like I had a colleague who was struggling with her students. Like they were, there was a group. It, they weren't going well. And she was kind of like figured out yourself. And I was like, but we're preparing our students for the professional world and future graduate programs. And so if you say that they're going to think all supervisors, all bosses. So like switching from like teacher lens to leader lens, help me shift how I respond. And I'm like, I would want a boss to like, or supervisor to ask me questions. And she yeah. like that same mind blown emoji. Look, she had the same experience because while she was taught like pedagogy and frameworks and things like that, she, she didn't look at them as like people as her followers, like people who look to her for not just like knowledge, but like guidance and coaching. And she's kind of like, you know, I never thought about that. And I feel like the only reason I think about that is because I teach leadership classes. It also purports uh, an unhealthy, but very biased thing that I think leadership educators are the best, um, just by nature of what we teach. Um, I'll go against my STEM colleagues, but um, I really feel like because we have to model and practice what we're preaching, like we all, we almost have to bring a higher standard than others. But yeah, looking at it as that leader follower, it then shifts how you respond. Like I don't, I don't tell my students, okay, everybody, let's meet, let's talk about it. I ask them questions. What have you done? What do you feel comfortable doing? What strategies can you employ? Okay, go, let's try them and assess it. Be, and, and I say, I ask you to do this work because when you get to work, I'm not gonna be there to mediate between your boss and your coworker. And the person you're struggling with may turn out to be your boss. So you still got to figure this out. And we have those, and, and that's what they're looking for. They're, they, of course, in, on surface level, they might want you to solve their problem, but ultimately 
that's that d- deep learning. Those are those significant experiences that we're creating that are, are long uh, in the long term way more beneficial. I, I think if there's two things we could really add that would make a huge difference, but it really helps if you get both of them. One is one we've been talking about here about how, how to get students to see themselves as as self-directed actors. In other words, they got to take responsibility for their own action. The other piece of that, I think uh, it would be is helpful, is if we can get students to take the subject matter of the course and project to life after the course, where are the life situations where this is going to be relevant? I.e., what is it, what is it we need to learn in order to act differently and better in those situations? And giving some thought to that. So it's it's getting themselves to be uh, uh, responsible for their own learning, but the other is then take, uh, become aware themselves of, and be thinking about what is it I need to learn from this course at this, you know, this situation, give me an opportunity to learn about X, what X and what is it I need to learn about X and get them involved in sort of, I guess you say, setting the agenda because once it, once they think about it, then they are learning about working at learning about it not only in the class and in interactions with you, but just generally they're thinking about it. And that I think will help them develop a fuller learning with, uh, about it. Are there any, like, I mean, that's such so important to, to us as, as leadership faculty and, and leadership educators thinking about, you know, we, we don't just want them to be leaders in our classroom, although that's helpful because that engages them, you know, in, in conversation and dialogue and what have you, but we want them to go out and, you know, we always say, go out and be the change you want to see in the world. Like we're trying to give you some skills to do that. What, what are some learning activities or strategies that you've used to really emphasize that learning how to learn aspect of making that transfer to outside of the context of the classroom? I think one of the things that uh, if, if you get them divided up in small groups, and I, I had a colleague here that did small groups, fantastic, Larry Michaels, I don't know if you run across that name, but but he taught me most of what I know about small groups. But I would get students in small groups at the beginning of the class, and and, uh, and maybe after I shared a little bit about the subject matter, but just lightly, and then get them thinking about and reflecting and, and trying to project in the future. So where do you think the subject matter of this course will plug into your life? What kind of situations and, and, uh, and what's the potential help? And then from that, give me from that, what is it we need to learn about X, i.e. the subject of this course and, and get them building that agenda. Uh, I think that that's, I've done that when I can. And, and I think that really helps because it gets them conscious that that the agenda doesn't just come from the teacher and the piece of paper that's the outline, but but if they can think about that and then be adapting whatever we do in class to their own sense of what they need, uh, what what they already know and need to build on, but also just what what their future is going to call for on this. Sounds like a great way to get them to read the syllabus, meaning like yeah, go yeah. look at the topics, go look at the reading titles. Great. Yeah. 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 Right. Because if, if it, it, you know, like one of the things I started doing after reading some of your work was I have like a central organizing question. So the outcomes are wonderful, but they don't, they, sometimes they just don't even know what learning outcomes are. And so I explain them and they, they kind of get them. But, but I, I, I say like with my group dynamics course, what, which strategies can you walk away from, take away from this class that helps you to better navigate your groups at work and in school? And so as we're going through all of the material, the question is always, okay, well, what, what do you, what can you do with this? How do you feel comfortable? And then I'll even compare, like we had a great conversation yesterday in class about uh, power and social influence. 
And one of my students shared, you know, I, if I, you know, I'm working with someone and I notice like their facial expressions, I'll ask them, you know, directly, hey, like, is there something more, you know, do we still need to talk? Cause I saw something in your face. And another student was like, oh, I can't do that. And I was like, okay, let's pause. That's wonderful because one, you are different people and respond different ways and you've recognized what you feel comfortable with and what you don't. I said, but then also there's what you want to say and what you want. And sometimes like that approach isn't going to get you what you want. And so you got to make all, you got to decide all of this in a split second. And I tell them, good luck. But, but, but it's like in those moments, that's where I feel like the material matters. Like it's not just these things to memorize, but then they go away thinking, you know, I said that I feel comfortable with that, but maybe I need to rethink this. And so it's like, I, you know, I'm all about trying to just get them to, to, and and I'm like, there's no right answers other than don't beat anybody up. But like there's other than that, all of this is what strategies can I take away? And then when I started doing this semester was bringing that back up periodically. So we talk about it the first week, yeah. Yeah. but then I wouldn't talk about it again for the rest of the semester, you know? Yeah, you need to revisit that every now. How are we doing? Yeah. And how are we doing? Are we are we using the strategies we said we need and are they adequate or do we need to adjust those? And uh, are we tracking on learning the kind of things we said we think we need to learn? And how, how is that coming? Yeah. And how yeah. getting them involved both in the what and the how of the learning, uh, defining the agenda and defining the, uh, the, me- the means of learning. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, it's interesting. So I, you know, do the mid semester survey and this time I made it a whole class period and I said, okay, here are the learning outcomes. Here's what we talked about at the beginning. So here's a refresher. And then I said, here's what the plan is next. And here's some big things that are going to shift in this between the first half and the second half as, as we cruise, I said, and then I said, let's look back at these learning outcomes. Where do you think you are? Do you feel like you've got this one and you've got more work to do? And then I let them reflect. And then I came back in and I said, okay, so what's a, what's a short goal or what's one thing, just choose one thing to really focus on. Is it AP style in some classes? Like I also teach public relations classes, but is it AP style? Like what are, what are we doing? And then I say, you know, how can I help you? What do you need from me? And, and my students gave me such great feedback. And I feel like I primed them to give me good feedback in a survey. They were aware of what they needed to be to be able to give that feedback. Yeah. And then the next class I said, okay, here are the changes I can make. Here are the questions I have about your response. And then here are the things that I just can't do for these reasons. And it, it took a class and a half but, but I feel like the engagement is there. I don't, I didn't have the same struggle. Some of my colleagues had with like, you know, pulling teeth to get answers. Um, yep. The work is good, you, you know, so I feel like it's making a difference and it's all new. Like I'm just trying this stuff out, you know, based on some of the conversations and things that, that I'm, I'm reading. And a lot of it came from the LEA Academy, uh, the LEA that, that I went through this summer too. So shout out to Dan and his crew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it sounds like you're doing good things, Dan. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Generated he, that, yeah. He is. Yeah. He is doing uh, good things. But it sounds like you know, what you're doing is a, the classic uh, ideal of uh, getting students both involved and equipped to become self-directing learners, both at the moment and thereafter. I mean, after this course is over, they can carry those same skills of you know, figuring out, well, what should I be learning here? And once they get halfway clear on that, uh, how would I learn that? And, you know, yeah, I think if students had that sort of explicit exercise on those questions, what, what should we be learning and can and should be learning 
and how can we be learning that course after course after course they'd be ready to go on in life and be very effective way more effective self-directing learners than most of them are now I and mean, we're we're gearing them up to do that which they have to do to be self-directing learners yeah it's interesting you where, where this kind of conversation is 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 taken as I think about something that I started talking about more often in my classes, maybe in the last, I don't know, I wonder if it was after tenure and I felt uh, safe talking about it that I don't know what it was, but it was with, with, and I don't know why there was like a, a mental block. I think I was like, well, what would students, what would be students responses if I said, hey, we're doing this learning activity because it is associated with this learning goal that we have for the course. Like, here's why we're doing this. Here's what I hope that you get out of this. Or I'll say things like, Hmm, which way should we go with this conversation? Because I want to make sure that you guys get this out of today's discussion. Okay, we're going to do this. And here's what, and I, sometimes I'm like, okay, hey, I'm externally processing, but I'm also like sharing with y'all like the why and the, and the intentionality behind what it is that, that we're doing. And I found that I was, I guess, less willing to do that. Or I thought that students would look at me like cross-eyed, but instead they're like, they really appreciate knowing how the sausage is made, I guess. I don't know how else to say it, but like yeah. the intention that, that I'm taking and as an educator that, you know, I'm taking the time to not just give them busy work or that like yeah. sharing my thought process with them. And I've got something else I want to share, but wait, it sounds like you, you have an immediate response to you, please. Well, yeah, I mean, it, there's two things that uh, can go on here. One of which is sharing your game plan. Uh, which is, I think, really good, as opposed to just let here do it, you know, kind of thing. But sharing the why of it also. But let, uh, but the other is uh, is sharing your game plan, but also then in, uh, inviting their reaction to the game plan. If they they feel well, I feel comfortable with the goal, but I'm not sure what we're doing is helping me really learn that or achieve that goal. Now that and getting feedback on that, uh, so that's sharing it and then getting feedback on. Either the goals have the, does that seem right or that's the valuable part for you, but then also how is it going? Are these happening for you? Yeah, and I and I certainly uh, you know the last class of the semester we always kind of do a reflection of how the class go. What were some of your favorite learning activities? Which ones could you have done without and why? Textbook, same thing. I saw so I'm, I'm developing a um, an advanced qualitative methods course for the, I've never taught just a, I've taught methods courses before, but we have a PhD program now and we are teaching this class for the first time this, this summer. And I'm working with a learning designer who's fantastic. And I was we're as part of this advanced qualitative methods course, we're going to do just one module introducing the the five major approaches, or excuse me, the, the um, not the five major approaches of qualitative methods. We're gonna do that too. But what I was getting at was the uh, major research designs for mixed methods research, um, just so that they have that, even though we're gonna emphasize the qual. And so I was looking for some syllabi online and I found this great one who uh, this, uh, this faculty member had created this like learning contract that, you know, first page, like any good syllabus has the like six major learning goals for the, for the course. And then on the next page, which I found fascinating, the next two pages was basically like a learning contract of here are all the activities you can choose from. And then they had like a little like some type of like code it's coding system that, you know, this activity goes with learning goal one, this one goes wow. with two and, and the students would, you know, kind of drag and drop or pick and choose and make their own semester of like, as long as I complete these eight assignments, I will have met the learn, but it's, it's showing the learners, these are the learning goals. Here's how you're going to get to them and giving them some self-directed you know, uh, agency and, and how they choose that. And I'm just like, that's so simple, so simple, but so like kind of profound at the same time. Yes. Yeah. That's what we love. You have simple things that have a big impact. 
Yeah. Yeah. In my head, I'm just like, oh, my canvas, how do we automate the grading and how many courses, like how many grades do I yeah. have to drop? Some of, some of it, you know what I, I like, what I love about your work is the, the, the PDF that comes with it, the workbook where you can answer the questions and write, because sometimes we get these great ideas and, and we, we don't get an opportunity to be kind of walked through it in that fashion. Um, and, and so I, I love that you know, Dan, you're like, I found this syllabus and we can do all of these things. It, it, but immediately I'm like, okay, so how do the logistics of this work out? How, so that actually, how's this work? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a non-tenured contract. Granted, I, I'm on three year in perpetuity until I, I do something that messes me up. So I have secure some sense of security, but I'm also like, how do I try these things that I know work that are going against the grain, but also, you know, I know are more meaningful and allow for that self-directed learning and that motivation to happen. Yeah. Well, part, I mean, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but I mean, part of it is convincing you that this is a good way to go. And the other part is convincing your colleagues that it's, it's good for you to go this way, which may be different from <clears throat> what they're doing or what they think all of us should be doing. But for, for the latter part, I think what you, when, when you try something new like that, uh, you need to gather evidence you know, for yourself as well as for colleagues, and maybe for students, but, but uh, so you got to do something toward the end, of, maybe in the middle class. I think it's good to take a reading a third of the way through, a reading two thirds of the way through, and then again, finally at the end, and with a little more summative kind of questions as opposed to uh, uh, along the way questions. But, but uh, finding out, you know, from the students, you know, has, how we had a game plan, uh, we thought, question, how well did it work for you? I mean, did it, what helped you and what didn't help you learn X, Y, and Z? And and it's going to be different for every student. But if you get you know 25 students and you know 60% uh, of them or 70% of them say this helped or this didn't help, then those are things you really got to you know pay. There are potential action things for you to pay attention to. Great, that's great advice. That's great advice. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You know, thank yeah. you for sharing. You've been sharing gems and strategies throughout this this <laughs> whole episode. So we're excited that that you're here and that you're able to do this. Um, is there anything that maybe we didn't ask you that you want to share with our leadership educator audience? Well, I, I I'm not sure. You've done a good job of pulling out the highlights. I think. Uh, I mean, the just the big thing is, you know, as as teachers guide themselves. I mean the. The ultimate goal is to, to figure out how to set ambitious, exciting, meaningful goal, learning goals uh, involving the students to what you can. But at some point, you want the, you and the students to be working towards something meaningful. And then the second is the learning activities. Are they working in the sense of moving us effectively uh, the way we all want to be towards those goals? And those are the kind of the two big questions. Are we working on the right things and are we making progress? Uh, the way we want to be. And if we can keep asking ourselves those questions and you look at your goals, you look at your learning strategies, teaching strategies, and that those are going to be lifelong questions. I mean, you just, uh, and you'll have different answers. What works for one class? You say, man, I finally found out this is, this is, this works. And you try it out for the other class and it doesn't work at all. And I've had that experience. Uh, so you have to, you know, continually check with your current group of students. How are these, is this what we should be doing? goal-wise, learning activity-wise, and if not, make changes and be ready to make changes. 
you're right about that, especially in this, this land of oscillating delivery modes where, you know, we're on and then two weeks we're off and then two weeks we're in person. And then next thing we're not, then we're asynchronous, synchronous hybrid in this, in this changing world. You're, you're right. It's really about, you know, continuing to question, what are, are you working on the right things? How are we progressing and what changes do we need to make to make it more effective? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, do you, do you feel like we could keep talking and talking and talking, but we want to we want to respect respect your time and you know just you know thank you so much again for for being uh, willing to share some time with us today and I don't know if I said at the beginning but you know you had such a huge influence on my journey as a as a faculty member and and uh, how I approach uh, faculty development um, you know in particular and and course design and curriculum design and teaching and learning and, and the whole thing so 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 glad that uh, I was introduced to your work when I was. At, um, as a doctoral student, and I and I know Lauren, uh, you know, shares that sentiment, and and we talk about your work uh, quite extensively. So thank you so much. Best of luck as you continue your your work designing significant learning experiences and and in faculty development. <laughs> and thank you all for the good work you are doing in helping your students uh, become effective educators, effective learners. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Remember, you can download all our episodes on all available podcast platforms. And when you go, please make sure you rate us five stars, as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. That's right, Lauren. We also invite you to interact with us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod. That's L-E-A-D-E-D-U-C-A-T-O-R-P-O-D. And on LinkedIn by searching for the Leadership Educator Podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn by name and on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Underscore Leadership and Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And a wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies now at the University of South Carolina. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our listeners. During the season, you will hear episodes featuring International Leadership Association members working globally to drive leadership education. Visit ilaglobalnetwork.org slash podcast for more information and to join the association. And finally, this podcast would not be possible without our chief partner, the Association of Leadership Educators. Please check out the ALE and all it has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you will listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcasts.